Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. So I was talking with my daughter, Abby, the other day. We were driving in the car, and I don't know why this comes into my brain sometimes, but it does. And I, I said to her, I think the worst thing that could ever happen is to have to go to jail for something that you didn't do. I can't imagine, like, there being a worse thing. Uh, you know, you hear guys going to jail for 30 years, and then finally, after 30 years, DNA evidence shows that they were, they were innocent. And how awful that would be. And some of you probably, a lot of you probably watched the movie Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a classic at this point. Um, and it's a story of really one guy who went to jail, and it was for something that he never did. And this guy has hope like crazy. So much hope that uh, one of his friends named Red was like, dude, you got too much hope. You are in here, you're in here forever. He'd even be like, yeah, we're all innocent. You're, you're just like all of us, pretty much. And there was one time where Red said this to him. He said, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. And when I think about hope, for some reason that, that idea comes to my mind sometimes. Uh, hope being a dangerous thing. And, and you know, maybe in prison, if, you're, if you've got hope that you're going to get out and there's absolutely no hope, like, yeah, I could see how that could be a dangerous thing in some ways. But on the other hand, I think life without hope, life without hope seems worse than, than a hope that maybe doesn't ever get realized. I can't imagine every night going to bed without hope. You know, you go to bed and, and maybe you had kind of an awful day and nothing went your way. I can't imagine still going to bed and not having that hope that the next day was going to be a little bit better. Uh, I think hope can be a dangerous thing, but it is a way more beautiful thing than it is a dangerous thing. And it's part of why I love competition so much. If you've ever been around me with sports, you know I'm, like the, I'm just a competitive freak. Um, it's, it's why I love sports, though, because there's a reason to have hope. Every single time that you, that you get to that starting line or you start a game, Man, I coached girls basketball in the very first game that I ever coached. We were going against a team. We had won four games the year before, and I had, we had lost everybody. It was my first time ever coaching a game, and I remember sitting in the locker room, and I'm like, we're going to lose to this team so bad. But I gave them hope. I'm like, guys, we can do this. And I didn't believe it, but I was trying to get them to have a little bit of hope. Um, but every time, so... You know, I talked about, we took my daughter to state this last, uh, this last weekend um, for, cross, or for track. She ran the 4x8. They did, a lot of you have asked, they did an awesome job. They, they had their season best time. Three of the girls ran uh, a PR on their split times. It was really fun. But every time that they go to the, to the starting line, there's like a little bit of hope in me. Um, I get more nervous when my own kid runs than when I used to run because I, I just want to be able to brag to the other parents probably that my kid's fat. I don't know. Um, but there's this thing in me, I have hope every single time that she's going to have a PR, she's going to run really well. There's this one kid, uh, if, she, if, if Abby were in here right now, she would know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this one kid who is like the bane of her existence when it comes to running. This one kid, every single race against her, she sits on her. Not, doesn't literally sit on her, okay? Sometimes when we talk cross-country track talk, we'll be saying it to a freshman, like, just sit on the kid all race long. And they look, this freshman, they'll look at you like, What? I'm not going to sit on the kid. All it means is just stay right behind him. So there's this one girl. She'll stay right behind Abby for a long time. And then at the last 50 meters, she'll pass her. 
And every single time I see this kid line up to race against Abby, I'm thinking, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that she actually gets her. It's going to happen. I know it. I have hope, you guys. I have a lot of hope. And hope, I think, is an absolutely beautiful thing to have. We've been talking a lot lately. Uh, for the last two weeks, this week is going to be the third week in this three-part series on money. And the last couple weeks, what we've been talking about is um, what obedience looks like with our money, what trust looks like with our money. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about hope. And hope and trust look a lot the same. But they're also a little bit different. Trust is, is more so a thing of, I can, even if I do this thing and bad things happen, I trust that ultimately God's got it in his hands. Hope is a little bit, it's almost a little bit beyond the trust. Hope is like this expectation that we have that something good is going to happen. And when it comes to money, I think sometimes to have hope, with, when we give ourselves over to God and we, we put our money in his hands, sometimes it's hard to have hope. Like, I can trust that even when, when it gets difficult with my finances, somehow, some way, God is at least going to take care of me. It's going to be difficult, it's going to be awful, but he's going to take care of me. But to have hope, to give to God and still have hope that, man, God, you're going to do something awesome with this, and it might not be for me, but I have hope. That is a difficult thing sometimes, because money, it, that's a difficult place for us. So here's the question. Uh, when I trust God enough to put my finances in his hands, to give him control in this area, what does it actually look like for me to be hopeful when there's actually a lot that I can fear and doubt? Let's be honest. When it comes to our money, it is it's often the case that there's fear and doubt that plays into things. But is it possible that God wants hope to become the defining quality of how we think about our money? And so what we're going to do is I want to take a look at a story of a random woman in the Bible. She's not given a name. Uh, we don't really know if she's talked about any place else. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 26, this random woman walks into a house that Jesus is in. And something really fantastic ha happens in this moment. I want to read it from verses 6 through 13, Matthew 26. It says, While Jesus was in Bethany in the, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I wonder if you've ever experienced uh, this kind of hope that comes into your heart when you've, you've got something that is valuable to you. Man, when I was a kid, I used to buy baseball cards like they were going out of style. Unbeknownst to me, they were going out of style. And they, they are not worth what I was anticipating they were going to be worth. These Topps baseball sets that my, my dad used to buy me, they're, they're still worth like $4.22. But I would, I would put all of, my, all of my money that I ever got, except for I, I bought like a stereo one time for $200, um, and that would probably cost about 20 bucks today. But other than that, every dime that I got, it went to baseball cards. And I remember holding a pack of cards in my hand, and there was this rush of excitement and hope that I was going to open up that, that pack of cards, and there was going to be maybe a Michael Jordan in there, or there was going to be a Kirby Puckett in there. And 
I'm telling you, the hope was addictive. Uh, I was actually going to bring to you guys a, a couple cards from a 1989 score football set that I have that's actually worth money. Um, and I was going to put it in my back pocket, but I got scared I was going to lose them if I brought them here. Because it's my retirement plan. So I didn't do that. But man, the, the hope uh, that I had with and I, would, I spent all my money on these stupid cards. But when, when a card actually came through that was truly valuable, there was something that, that would just take place uh, in your heart. And maybe, maybe your value items are different than mine. I, I hope that your value items are different maybe than mine. Maybe for you it's a beautiful car, a brand new pair of shoes. I got a pair of new brand, brand new pair of running shoes this week. It was great. Loved it. Uh, maybe it's a diamond ring. Uh, but all these things, they, they bring us this feeling of hope for some reason. And, and this perfume bottle that this woman was, carried into this, this room, um, this is something that would have brought a lot of us hope when we saw it. Uh, she, she comes into this, this home of Simon the leper, and, and Jesus is sitting there. And there's, there's this moment where, man, is she really about to do what she's about to do? This perfume, if you got it in your hands, this would be like a, a Mickey Mantle rookie card. This is, this is a, a prime piece of valuable property. And one of the things that, that hosts of banquets like this would do, when somebody would come in uh, that, that had some special uh, quality to them, a special guest would come into the home for this banquet, the, the person that owned the house, they would anoint that person with oil on their head. This was a, a typical custom, and so Jesus coming into this house, that was something that would have probably been done. But what this woman did is she took it to a whole other level. This bottle of perfume was way more expensive than what, what was typically going to be done in this situation. According to John's gospel, when he talks about this story, he says that, that this bottle of perfume was worth probably about 300 denarii, which that is about a year's salary for a, a working man at that time. In this jar, it was semi-transparent. It had a, kind of a marble look to it. And it would be sealed so that it, no evaporation could, could come from it. And so all that perfume that, that would stay inside there. And so what you had to do is, with this bottle, to get out this ointment, you would have to break the long neck of this bottle. And the moment you do that, then you have to anoint the person because otherwise there was nothing good that was going to come from this bottle of of perfume. And so if you're a greedy person at all, you, I, want to, I want you to put yourself in that room for a little bit today. So you see this woman walk into the room, and you've got your, your eyes trained on her for whatever reason. You see her looking around for somebody. And then there comes a point where she finds the person that she's looking for, and she, she starts walking towards him. And it's Jesus. And as you're watching her walk towards him, all of a sudden, you see her bring out this, this vial, this bottle. And the moment that you see it, you start, like you start to get excited. Because you know how expensive that thing is. It's like every time you see a Tesla drive by, you're like, oh, I like that. I'd like to drive that once. Uh, there's excitement. And you see what's about to happen. So you see that she pulls out this vial. It's worth about $50,000 in today's money, $75,000. And then all of a sudden you can see what's about to happen. She takes a step towards Jesus. And before you can get to her, she takes out the vial and she breaks that bottle. And in that moment, all you can think is, what a waste. 
there are actually people in that room who are looking at her and going, what a waste, what are you doing? You think of everything that, that could have been bought if you had had possession yourself of that vial of perfume. And the reason is, is you know that you'd have sold that thing in a heartbeat. You've been daydreaming about the things that you want to pay off. You've been daydreaming about the things that you want to buy for yourself. And something inside you has been feeling like you're not fully there until you get this stuff taken care of, until you get what you want to be able to get. But you don't have the, you don't have the, the means, you don't have the money to get all that stuff. And so you're looking at this woman, you're thinking, man, there went my hope. If I could have just gotten that bottle before she broke it. I want you to be honest with yourself for a minute. Do you find yourself more often daydreaming about what, what could happen to your finances or what God could do through you in other people's lives? I'm one of those people, I've said it before, I daydream all the time about like, what if somebody gave me $100,000? What would I do first with it? And it's never like, well, I'd give this amount to this people. I, like, it doesn't, that doesn't go in my head first. It's like, what, what would I do with it for myself? If anything, uh, I get to a place where I'm like, oh, man, it'd be cool. At least if I had enough money, man, I'd, I'd love giving $100 tips to, to college kids when I go to restaurants and all that kind of stuff. But you understand, that's me thinking out of surplus. That's me going, okay, now that I'm rich, now I can give in a rich way to other people. And so it, it actually shows that that is ultimately the dream. The dream is for me to get this kind of wealth. And the woman in this story, though, the woman in this story had a different kind of dream. She wasn't dreaming about her wealth. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever why this woman owed this bottle of perfume to Jesus. She, she isn't mentioned in the story. It is doubtful that she's a main character in the life of Jesus. I'm sure she'd been following Jesus, maybe from afar. This bottle was, it was hers to do with what she pleased. And no one, including Jesus, no one was going to her and saying, you need to give that bottle to Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying, you need to give that bottle to me. And Jesus never would have thought anything negative of her if, if she hadn't opened that bottle up for him. So the question is why? Why would she break this bottle, this expensive bottle for Jesus? And I think she did it because she understood, she understood who Jesus was. She looked at Jesus, she understood who he was, and that became her thing of value. That became the thing that to her mattered the most. She couldn't find value like that in any other thing in the world. And so here's what I think this woman, uh, what she knew that I think a lot of the people around her didn't know. It's this. She knew that Jesus is worth the best that, that disciples have to offer him. Jesus is worth the best. So she could look at that perfume and be like, this, it's okay, I can give it to Jesus. One of the things I love about this story is that it does something that a lot of the stories in the Gospels actually do. This story actually shows a woman disciple putting to shame the men disciples. And it happened a lot. The, these 12 guys that followed Jesus as his main disciples, they were actually the ones that were watching this woman do what she did and they were saying, what are you doing? In fact, we actually translate what they said as being that they were, they were indignant with her. They were mad at her for opening this bottle on Jesus' head. These guys who had walked around with Jesus for three years or so, they couldn't understand why she was doing this. And time and time again, these guys 
are an embarrassment in the way that they act, in the way that they think. It really wasn't until after Jesus had died, after he had risen from the dead, after he had ascended back into heaven, where these guys finally kind of started to figure out what everybody else had figured out. That a lot of the women followers of Jesus had already figured out a long time ago. It sounds a lot like real life, right men? Women figuring things out way before us. There are times where it's, it takes me forever to understand the really important things. And my wife, she's like, Kellen, I, I knew that a long time ago. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? I did. Oh, okay, my bad. It takes me a long time to figure stuff out. Matthew, back in Matthew 5, uh, verse 16, Jesus actually told his followers to let their good works shine before everybody. Here's the cool thing about this. In all the Gospels, this is the only time where we see Jesus say to somebody that they had done a good work, a good deed like this. He's saying it to a woman. Uh, there, man, there is something beautiful in this part of this story. He said that she did a beautiful thing and wherever the gospel was preached, her story was going to be told. The fact that Matthew is talking about a woman disciple shaming the men disciples right now, to me, one of the parts about this, it actually proves just more how accurate this story is that we're reading. It's how accurate the story of the gospels actually is because in this culture, nobody would have written about a woman who put shame on the men that day. But that's exactly what Matthew does. But there's another thing about this, and, and I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here because I think it's important because we're reading a story about an incredible woman from the Bible. There are still parts of Christianity that says that, that for some reason men are more important in the ministry of the gospel. And the Bible actually is not saying that ever. There's times where, where Paul says some difficult things and he says, uh, one part, we actually read it like women should be quiet in the church. The truth is, is that's, that's taken out of context so much. A lot of times, what actually was happening there is women were sometimes talking to their, to their husbands across the aisle while they were in church saying, what, what exactly is being said here? And Paul was just saying, go home, talk together. He wasn't saying that women are not a part of active ministry in the church. The truth is, you look at the Gospels, and it's actually women who are doing the foundational stuff of ministry so much of the time. Paul probably talks about women doing ministry more than he even talks about men. Again, this is kind of a tangent based on what we're talking about today, but I want us to understand, because um, I'm actually excited. In, in August, I've asked Shannon Carter. She, is, she works in our Beloit campus. She's going to be coming and preaching here, and I'm super excited about because I watched this woman talk from the stage in Beloit, and I'm like, you have got something, and you need to come and preach. You, start, you need, to, you need to, to have this opportunity because I believe that, that God uses women. Men, the Bible is impressive in how it is the first book that's that old that really shows that it's about equality. And so I just want to put, point that out even though we're talking about money today, okay? So let me, let me keep going on here. What this woman did was done because her heart, her heart was in it with Jesus. She found her greatest hope in this man named Jesus. He was worth the best that she had to offer. Sometimes I wish that my kids would shower more love on me. I, I, I like hugs from my, my daughters. And sometimes I'm like, hey, come give me a hug. And they're like, no. I got one daughter, Sadie, who she'll give me a hug. And sometimes she's, she's even more of a hugger than me. And sometimes I'm like, okay, child, that's enough. All right. But I got my two oldest daughters. And I'll go and give them a hug or give them a kiss on the cheek. And the moment that the kiss on the cheek happens, it's like, oh, dad, that is so weird. Stop it. And I'm like, I helped 
bring you into the world. I can give you a kiss on the cheek, okay, kid? Um, but, you know, we've all been in that spot where you go to a little kid and you're like, oh, come give me a hug. And sometimes the kid's like, uh-huh. But sometimes the kid comes and, and opens their arms to you before you even say, ask it. And that is, like, that's the moment, right? We're like, oh, your heart just melts. There's a kid in this church that every once in a while she walks in. The first thing she does is she walks in. She just opens her arms to me, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. That is adorable, child. Um, there's something about when the love is offered like that free of charge. It just feels so impressively awesome. You see, Jesus didn't come to this woman and ask for an extravagant gift. He didn't look around and tell everybody that he was the best thing ever and that he deserved to have this, this vial cracked open for him. But the woman looked at him, and that's what she saw. She saw that Jesus was valuable like that. She had her hope in Jesus, and that hope actually won out over the hope that she might have had for what that vial of perfume, if she sold it, could have done for her life. While Jesus didn't demand the gift, he also didn't refuse the gift. He received it because it was from her heart. Not because of the value of the perfume, but because it was from her heart. And when our gift to God comes from the heart, out of our hope in Jesus, it is going to be a gift that will be accepted. And it's going to be just like what Jesus said right here, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a beautiful gift. And so when our hope is in Jesus more than anything else, it changes, I think, how we view our possessions. It is hard to get out of the rut of viewing our possessions as, as something more important than what they maybe are. But I think this story shows exactly what it is. What the world calls waste, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. What the world calls waste, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. And Here's the thing, when you give to God, when you give to God's kingdom, whether it's money, whether it's your time, whether it's your effort and your energy, you give something to God, guess what? The world is going to tell you it wasn't worth it. The world's going to tell you it was a waste. The world's going to sometimes tell you that's a stupid thing to do. That's a stupid way to spend your time. I know kids get worried about that all the time when, when they, they don't want their friends to know that they're going to church because their, their friends are going to be like, why would you do that? What a waste of time. Even sometimes in my own life, when I, when I give something to, to God's kingdom, I think, is this really worth it? And I don't know if that question really came into that, to that woman's head that day. Not going to lie, there's actually been a, a, a time or two that I can recall with my own children where they're, they're going to give an offering to God, and I've actually said words like, are you sure you want to give that much? Uh, you sure you want to give your, your, your birthday money to, to Jesus? And then I look, I, I walk away and I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Like, what more do I want than for my kids to put more value in God's kingdom than the thing that they can buy that for themselves? Because here's the thing, I go to stores with them and I watch what they buy when they use their own money. There's these things called poly pockets. They're, they're, they won't resell better than baseball cards. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't know why... They, my two little ones, I, they're like, yeah, we're going to buy this doll. You have 85 on your bed right now. You bought one last week. So why wouldn't I want them to give their money to Jesus? Why would I, why would I hold them back in, in any way with that? Really, how many things do we give our hard-earned money to that actually is a waste? How many things do we give our time to that is actually a waste? And maybe the, the big thing that we all have to do is ask God 
to adjust our understanding of what a waste is and what a beautiful thing is. The disciples' priorities, the the men that were following Jesus, they were not the same, they didn't have the same priorities as what this woman who was following Jesus from afar had. Even though they walked with Jesus every single day, the disciples still sought, they, they, they thought that some things mattered that simply did not matter. You look at Judas. While Judas Judas was actually in the room. Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, was in the room that day, and he's watching this woman walk over to Jesus. And he's one of the guys that was saying, what a waste. And then he had the gall to say, we could have given that money to the poor if we had sold it, sold that perfume. And he was also the guy that was pocketing money that they were putting into offering things for the poor. Guy was a punk. And he says, it says this in Matthew 26, 14 and 15. After this story that we read, this is what it says about Judas. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Here's the thing about Judas. When Jesus no longer was going to take care of his hopes and dreams that he had for himself, which was his own personal financial gain, he said, I'm done with you, Jesus. And I wonder how many times as Christians do we look at Jesus just as somebody that we want him to take care of our day-to-day stuff. And it doesn't matter that he's looking for something that's so much more valuable than our day-to-day well-being. He's looking at something that's eternal. But once we get to that place where it's like, I don't think Jesus is going to take care of, of my day-to-day like I want him to, we get upset. Judas didn't see what Jesus had to offer as being beautiful. Judas saw what Jesus had to offer as being a waste. And so I want you to hear this. If you're struggling with the idea of giving your life to Jesus in a way that is sacrificial, maybe it's because you're failing to see that what Jesus has to offer you is beautiful. Think about this woman. I don't, I don't see her going and, and, and breaking this vial in front of Jesus and pouring it on Jesus' head and thinking, this is a waste. Or even thinking that this is a sacrifice. She's sitting there doing this, saying, this is for my God. This is for my Savior. There's a different attitude that comes with that. When you see that Jesus... When you think of him as he's only there to fulfill your day-to-day desires, I'm just going to tell you this, you are going to be disappointed. It's not because Jesus can't fill your day-to-day desires. It's because that is not his priority. Your day-to-day desires simply are not Jesus' priority. His priority is your eternity. Simple as that. And that's why Judas never understood it. He never understood that the priority of Jesus was not that Judas could get all the money he wanted, but it was that Jesus wanted to go to the cross for Judas so that Judas could spend eternity with Jesus. And he didn't get it. So what Jesus sees as a waste for me, too much of the time, I see it as something that is a way higher priority than it should be. And too much of the time also, it's the opposite. What I see as a waste, Jesus sees as a priority. I see getting stuck in traffic as a waste of time. I still think it is. Uh, But I think sometimes Jesus sees it as a time for me to have to be patient, to relax, to turn my thoughts to him instead of the frustration of what's in front of me. I see a conversation with a stranger as a waste, and I just want to pass it off without having to get too deep in anything. And Jesus sees it as a connection that I can make for him 
with somebody else. I see giving for a kingdom cause as waste compared to what maybe that money could buy me. But Jesus sees it as a way for my heart to get off of my temporary desires and to get it onto his eternal, his eternal dreams for me. I think there's a secret that happens, uh, that we find in this story with this woman as we see her dealing with Jesus. This woman had found her hope in Jesus beyond this life, and it made the treasures of this life not as valuable any longer. It just wasn't as valuable. It changed her whole concept of what was valuable and why it was valuable. This woman had this vial of, of perfume, and she had three choices with it. She had the choice that she could save this vial of perfume for herself for whatever reason. She had the choice that she could uh, make some serious coin by selling it to somebody else. Or she had, she had the choice that she could use it to prepare the Messiah for his burial. See, what's interesting here is the, uh, the only time where this ceremonial anointing of someone wouldn't take place after they died was if they died a criminal's death. And so you can understand what's going on here. Jesus was not going to get the anointing that most dead bodies would get because he was going to go to the cross and die a criminal's death for you and me. And so what this woman was doing is she was preparing Jesus for his burial. That's what Jesus said. She was doing it because it wasn't going to happen otherwise. Now, we don't know necessarily if she knew that, but here's what we do know. We know that the Holy Spirit led this woman to do something that was going to be done for Jesus that wouldn't have been done otherwise. This is, what, what she did was a big deal. And Jesus was trying to get the disciples to understand that. Like, yeah, there's poor people out there, but, but right now this is, this is a heavy matter. I'm about to die for you. You may not understand everything that God is calling you to, to give yourself to. You might not understand everything that, that God's calling to and why it actually matters. But if God is calling you to something for his sake, you can be sure that it matters in God's kingdom. If God is calling something from you, even if it's the tiniest little thing, like the, like the widow who gave her two little tiny coins, and Jesus pointed her out and was like, this, dude gave, this woman gave something important to God. It could be incredibly small, but if God is calling you to give, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's effort, it matters in God's kingdom. And sure, you may not be able to give that time or that money to yourself any longer. You may not be able to use it for yourself, but using it for the kingdom matters. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I treasure the most? What do I put the most value in? Because doing something that is for God, it is never a waste. Think about the conversations that you're going to have this week. You might, be in a, you might be in a dentist waiting office. For some reason, those places are always places where everybody else is waiting and you can talk. Maybe, maybe somebody's there that God's calling you to talk to. And in your head, you think, that's a waste of time. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the dentist room here in like two minutes. It's going to be 30. You got time. It takes time, you guys. You know it's going to take time. But what do you treasure? What do you value? I want you to listen to what Paul David Tripp says. He says, to the degree that we base our hope in something or someone other than the Lord. 
I'm going to read that again. To the degree that we base our hope in something or someone other than the Lord, to that degree, the hope of the gospel will not comfort and satisfy us. This world simply will never satisfy you. I don't care what you're going for. If it is just world stuff, you're going to find yourself wanting every single time. The people that I have found to be the most joyful people, the, most, the people who have, they, it seems like they've just figured out the satisfaction thing in life. They're the people who, they may not have everything that the world has to offer, but they have given themselves fully over to Jesus. They've put their hope in Jesus. If our hope is in something other than Jesus, you're going to find yourself wanting. And I'm telling you, I'm right there with you on this one. I find my hope in other things oftentimes. And when that's the case, I find myself wanting. I find myself not satisfied. Sometimes it's just simply hoping that, that things will be absolutely perfect in my marriage. My marriage is awesome. I love my marriage. But no marriage, no church, no nothing is absolutely perfect. And so if it's not, and that's where my hope is, I find myself wanting. But my hope, when it's placed in Jesus above everything else, that's when things come together. That's when I can actually give of myself. And it doesn't hurt. It's not a sacrifice. It's the, it's the thing that makes the most sense. Today, have you put your hope fully in Jesus? Is he what you treasure and value the most? If he's not, it's okay. He's not going to be mad at you. But I think every day he wants you to come to him and just say, hey God, how can I, how can I get my heart a little bit closer to treasuring you? God, God, help me to put my treasure in you, not in other things. There's so much that this world has to offer and Satan wants to use it to get me away from you. Help me to treasure you, Lord. Are we, are we asking God that every single day? When you begin to see what Jesus offers you is more beautiful than anything else that you can possibly find in the world, that's going to be your driving force to become a giver. It is hard not to give back to God when you see how awesome he is. When the thing that goes through your mind every single day is that Jesus gave his life for me and that is amazing, it's the best gift I've ever been given, it's hard not to want to give back. God doesn't want us to give out of guilt. He wants us to see how beautiful he is and giving is going to get a lot easier. I'm telling you, Lord, show us your beauty today. Show me your beauty, Lord, so that from this point forward, that's my desire to want to give my life to you in submission. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.